welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the G3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the G3 Project. And today we have a very special guest and I'm very excited about Dr. Ebony Marshall Terman. Welcome, Dr. Terman. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you, Lisa. Thank you for uh, being a guest on the G3 Project podcast. For our listeners who who don't know who you are, um, could you give them a little bit of background? Sure. Um, I um, currently serve at Duke University Divinity School as a director of the Office of Black Church Studies, as well as assistant research professor of theological ethics, Black Church Studies, and African and African American Studies. Uh, I am the author of um, one book uh, toward a womanist ethic of incarnation, Black Bodies, the Black Church, and the Council of Chalcedon, which was published on Paul Graves Macmillan in 2013. Uh, I'm currently working on my second project that is um, concerned with, uh, my second book project concerned with um, sexism and sexual gender discrimination in African-American churches and how we might um, change that reality. Um, I am an ordained Baptist minister. Uh, I uh, am National Baptist and uh, served as assistant minister of the Abyssinian Baptist Church in the city of New York for uh, 10 years. Um, and I, I I think that's about it <laughs> as, a, as a cursory introduction. <laughs> well, uh, just by your introduction, I know that you're a very busy woman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I couldn't imagine uh, balancing all those things. So that is, that's pretty amazing. Um, today we're going to talk about um, the black church and mass incarceration and um, I thought you'd be a, a good person to talk about it I saw your um, clip on the Odyssey Network when you were talking about it and I um, it was it was helpful to me because there are some things that you mentioned that I had never I hadn't I hadn't completely thought through as far as how we can as in the black church can help um with this with this issue that's affecting our community um what are the effects of mass incarceration on the on the african american community well the effects of mass incarceration uh on the african american the black community um are legion um we i mean from kind of very basic number standpoint we have, as Michelle Alexander has um, referenced in her her wonderful book, The New Jim Crow, we currently experience more persons of African descent in the U.S. who are incarcerated than who were enslaved in uh, the mid to late um, 19th century. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that um, constitutionally, um, slavery, of course, has been abolished except for uh, reason of, you know, of uh, punishment for a crime. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when we recognize that, you know, black people are disproportionately incarcerated, 
uh, in relationship to um, the history of um, slavery, um, black bodily discipline and punishment. Um, we we can see, I think, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we have not come as far as we think we may think we have, mm-hmm. um, based on you know our ability to um, um, to toe the lines of, of, of you know of of, um, of society and or negotiate the lines of kind of uh, engagement in society in different ways in the 21st century, mm-hmm. black people. So. When we think about mass incarceration, um, we, we just recognize that a huge proportion, a huge swath of the black community, um, not just men, um, but certainly black men are, um, are affected in the greatest number, mm-hmm. um, but black women as well, and black children, mm-hmm. right, who are, again, using this word of, uh, of proportion, uh, this thought of proportion, disproportionately charged for um, nonviolent offenses as adults. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so a huge swath of our population is subject to uh, the criminal justice system or the prison industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only those who are incarcerated physically, um, but that also those of us who live in communities um, that are typically. Uh, predominantly black communities or communities of color, black and brown communities, where um, a particular sort of surveillance, one might even say an ethic of surveillance, is um, the norm. Mm-hmm. Where we live in, um, to, um, to a certain extent, a constant threat of, um, of, of police activity. Uh, and, um, you know, we see this effect in the uh, stop and frisk policies, you know, um, and other uh, other um, legislative moves um, that um, that seek to 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 threaten, to traumatize um, black life and to to survey black lives mm-hmm. um, always. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 we wreck. I mean, and I mean, it goes on and on. So this this funnels down into um, voting uh, and how we actually can engage to make change in our communities. We recognize that the voting rights of those who have been um, formerly incarcerated are um, seemingly um, always kind of questionable. Either they they are non-existent, or there are lots of questions and red tape. Uh, to be uh, muddled through, um, we recognize that um, economic um, sustainability, because so many folks are removed from the community. I mean, that's just a natural, natural connection there. But also, when you are leaving families behind, right, mm-hmm. who are now broken, fragmented, mm-hmm. that uh, dual income um, uh, capacity uh, is. It does no longer exist when a family is is broken, mm-hmm. and this is not just um, according to kind of heteronormative models of family or cisgender models of family, but family, however we constitute them um, as people of African descent. When someone is taken from us, um, it affects our in- entire being, um, and um, and it, to to add on to kind of the political and to the economic 
um, the emotion and the social uh, catastrophe that mass incarceration visits upon black communities, um, there's also a deep emotional and um, mental toll taken on families who have lost sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, uncles and aunts, and cousins and everybody else um, to um, to uh, to uh, the prison industrial complex. Um, there is uh, grief. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it is a loss. It is a removal. And so the grief that accompanies um, accompanies uh, this reality is uh, sometimes uh, just uh, un, uh, un- irreconcilable and untenable mm-hmm. for those who are affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I don't think, you know, when we talk about um, mass incarceration that we consider all the effects. So, um, you know, even as you're talking through, it's like, you know, those are things when I think of it, when I think of it, I don't always consider, you know, the trickle down effects. Um, So I'm glad you definitely pointed that out. It helps me to see. And I and I was just talking to a friend recently and he was telling me that his friend that um was was um imprisoned when they were in high school. He wrote him a letter mm-hmm. and he wrote the letter and was like, hey, you remember that girl we used to like? And he was like, I don't know what he's talking about. And he was talking about a girl in the eighth grade. And he was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't consider like, you know, we're out here living life and the people that are incarcerated are kind of stuck, you know, and their only frame of reference is those things. And, you know, kind of to bring them back in society is a whole nother. You like you have to come up. It's like they're in a time they're stuck in a certain in a certain place in time. And I was like, Oh, wow. It's like so many things I don't consider um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when I'm, when I'm thinking about it. So I'm well, glad. And, and I mean, even beyond that. So, so, so that's certainly the case, right? So this idea of kind of being uh, in a, in a, in a time warp, right? Being mm-hmm. stuck when you were taken or where you were taken. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but also, I mean, even when you talk about reentry um, and facilitating uh, reentry um, models. When you think about what persons who have been convicted of a felony are restricted from, I mean, all of the restrictions. Certainly, I mentioned voting, but there are restrictions on um, all kinds of public services. Uh, in addition to um, employment, right? We mm-hmm. know that there's employment discrimination that functions um, against those who are informally incarcerated. So, it, it, it there. Like I said, the um, the matters, the challenges that confront the black community because of mass incarceration are legion, mm-hmm. which is why the abolition of the prison industrial complex is so um, so very critical for our time. Mm-hmm. How have you seen, or what effective ways have you seen the black church help? Sure. Um, well. <laughs> That's, that's an interesting question. I've seen uh, the black church help in a number of ways. So, um, you know, from when I was serving at Abyssinian, for instance, we had a ministry called the Exodus Ministry. And it was, um, um, we also had, we worked with uh, a, a New York seminary, an area seminary, a New York seminary, mm-hmm. New York Theological Seminary, actually. 
uh, years ago when they were engaged in a program called Youth Turn. Um, so the Exodus Ministry was um, formed um, as a reentry ministry to assist uh, persons who were uh, coming out of uh, being released from prison uh, to, um, you know, rear into um, society and to help assuage uh, some of the trauma that that um, reentry uh, could um, could bring up for them. Uh, and so um, it was, you know, um, uh, multi-week, multi, I think it was probably a year-long program, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, you know, there were classes uh, in certain um, various disciplines uh, that would allow um, uh, those persons to brush up on skill sets. There was employment training. Um, you know, we helped with furnishing um, clothing. Um, we helped with, you know, just all, all of the things that, that, um, that a person who are returning home from prison uh, are, are in need of, as well as just a general support system, a place that um, is open to, um, to our brothers and sisters returning home. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a place where, you know, they will, they will be received lovingly mm-hmm. uh, and openly. Um, and so the Youth Turn Project was more concerned with um, um, young people, youth, and um, helping them. So there were multiple ways in which the program worked, but one of the ways it worked was when, when young people were on the borderline, you know, when they were just about to, you know, um, become seriously um you know, seriously troubled by the prison industrial complex when they were on the verge of going to prison or um, on the cusp of, um, you know, uh, activity that might not uh, be um, beneficial to, um, to their uh, livelihood. This program um, stepped in and uh, helped them, provide a space for them to talk through some of the challenges that they were um, facing. It was an opportunity for um, young people or for adults to um, really um, run um, interference mm-hmm. um, with the system on, the, on behalf of these young people, many of whom, um, some of whom I should say, um, did not have um, parents or um, adult persons in their lives who were able um, for whatever reason, to um, to intervene and advocate on their behalf, and so um, those are two kind of ministry-based ways in which the church has. Um, I have known the church to to um, participate in um, combating or resisting uh, mass incarceration in our communities, and these ministries are not um, unique to uh, one church community, to my church community. But you see, um, you see models of these sorts of ministries for youth and for adults, for um, returning citizens um, as well um, in churches, you know, in progressive, prophetic black churches um, throughout the nation. Um, but some other ways are um, thinking about um, providing space or town hall space, meeting space for conversations about um, policing in our communities. 
mm-hmm. for um, engagement with um, the police who um, are um, who are called to protect and serve our community safely. Um, also, um, you know, offering opportunities for young people to be trained in how to negotiate interactions with the police in ways that might prevent them from um, from bodily harm. Um, and so, so that is again an, an, an educational model. Right? We have kind of a ministry-based model. We have, um, you know, Christian education that involves this inter um, inter uh, interactive dialogue. But then also, I think there are um, priestly uh, ways in which the church can uh, function um, to resist mass incarceration and has functioned, and that is in the proclamation of a gospel that. Um, that affirms, uh, you know, the, um, uh, what, how does uh, the prophet say it? Um, uh, that affirms the reality that there is space at, uh, at God's table for all people. Mm-hmm. That we are also God that addresses the evil of mass incarceration in a very explicit way mm-hmm. um, as a, as a um, as uh, state-sanctioned violence against certain kinds of bodies, um, and that engages in liturgy that um, communicates this reality to the same end. We recognize that Jesus Christ himself was condemned by by the Roman Empire, by the state, if you will, uh, and that he, he died by way of capital punishment, crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And so when we take that seriously, center, the central and a symbol of our faith being Jesus, um, and for some even the cross, but we don't have to go into that theological <laughs> <laughs> but when we, when we recognize Jesus as the center of our faith and Jesus dying the death of a criminal uh, on a cross, then we um, have no other option but to attend to the criminalization of certain kinds of bodies and to think seriously about how we respond to that. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely helpful because I I know a lot of churches that kind of just think one dimensional when it um, Mm -hmm. becomes and that they have a prison ministry, but the prison ministry just consists of them, a group going to the prison and sharing the gospel. And that's the prison ministry. You know, it's not after. (laughs) And so, you know, when you think about all the effects and how, you know, that's, that's completely fine and it's it's good but if you don't have the other component like you were speaking of it's gonna be very, it's not going to be holistic and so um right. it definitely needs to be absolutely. a holistic approach um absolutely what ways do you think that black churches could do more what what do you want them to see what do you want to see them do more of in yeah. relates to um mass incarceration um, I, I just want to, before I respond to that question, just go back for a minute and say to your point about kind of, uh, um, the prison ministries that are not meeting kind of the, um, not living into kind of the wholeness of um, or the realities of the prison industrial complex and mm-hmm. its many different tentacles and just trying to um, approach a prison ministry in a one-dimensional way, I'll also say to that point that um, too many churches are not um, 
able to or have not endeavored to think about um, uh, to think about respectability and um, specifically how the politics of respectability and disrespectability are at work in our congregations and in our community, right? Mm-hmm. So often we ascribe to, um, as, as Christian folk, as church, black church people, we kind of ascribe to this idea, you know, this colloquial phrase, if you will, well, if you did the crime, then you must do the time, right? Mm-hmm. And um, not, you know, and, and, and the crime can be any manner of things, right? We criminalize people for how they dress. We criminalize people for, you know, what kind of music they listen to. To um, We criminalize people based on the pigment of their skin. We criminalize people based on what school they went to or did not go to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on where they live. I mean, this is what profiling is, and it's unfortunate that it even happens within, you know, within the church. Mm-hmm. How we profile, um, profile um, our... Uh, um, siblings in Christ. And so um, we need to think critically about, and perhaps this is answering your, um, your next question, Lisa. I think the church really needs to think critically about respect, the politics of respectability and disrespectability and how we are negotiating those realities in relationship to white norms. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this sense, I would push a little bit further and say that the church ought to be um, doing more. Some churches are, are doing this work at the highest level, but um, and to their best ability, but the church ought to be doing more to engage this uh, Black Lives Matter moment in mm-hmm. the spectrum of Black freedom, mm-hmm. right? Because, because this is precisely what this movement, uh, Black Lives Matter, is doing. It is making us reckon with the fact that Black lives, all of them, not only those that ascribe to a certain kind of certain kind of church respectability um, that black lives actually matter mm-hmm. and until the church really reckons with with that that um, uh, that assertion that claim that affirmation of black lives then we'll always I think be caught between um, negotiating our blackness according to kind of a, a white a racist God that has been handed down to us mm-hmm yeah, I think that's that's good because, um, you know, it's so hard sometimes to get churches, whether black, multi-ethnic or whatever, to see what the Black Lives Matter movement is doing. Um, and um, in uh, I was talking to a pastor and he said it's unfortunate that the church isn't leading the charge on this. Um, like, you know, when during the MLK days. That was the church at the forefront, but um, we seem to kind of have taken a back seat. And I would love to see more churches at the forefront of this movement engaging um, with the Black Lives Matter movement and learning, you know, in a to learn, not to take over. Um, right, and I, I think that's the key. That the I mean, it is um, in a sense, it's it's sad to see that the black church is not at the forefront of this movement, but it also makes perfect sense that it's not, because people forget that when, during the civil rights era, approximately for the most part, black churches were not um, participatory. Remember that um, the largest gathering of black Baptists in, in the world actually split 
because of, you know, by extension, the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King. Most black churches were not a part of the movement. Mm -hmm. There were some progressive, um, prophetic-minded black churches who um, who spearheaded that. So on the one hand, it makes, um, it is sad because we are a people who at least confess um, confess a God of justice, right, and mm-hmm. a God of love. Um, and, but 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 at the same time, we you know um, we don't necessarily live into that reality. Mm-hmm. So to your point, I'm not so sure. Um, although I'm sure what we do believe, I'm not convinced that people really understand um, why mm-hmm. they believe it. Or if, in fact, they actually do. You Mm -hmm. know, sometimes it's just lip service. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that, uh, to your point, Lisa, what is um, most critical at this juncture is that the black church be engaged with the movement and Mm -hmm. be engaged with our um, sisters and brothers who um, who are really calling us to uh, be accountable to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Um, this is kind of off the list of my my questions, but uh, this popped up in my mind. Have you seen people willing to learn from the movement in in the black church setting? Because I know sometimes our whole thing sometimes is that we can see what you're doing and we want to take over. We don't like mm-hmm. sometimes we don't like to learn from people. Um, right. Have you seen that in your I know in the south it's common <laughs> but um how about in the in the north um, it's interesting because I have seen uh, I have seen it in the north mm-hmm. I see it primarily in um in the young people young black church um, or ministers in training who are really reckoning with the realities of anti-black violence, state-sanctioned black violence, and God mm-hmm. um, in much the same way that James, uh, James H. Cone, who was my teacher uh, and continues to teach me from afar, um, would recount his story of having to reckon deeply with the reality of black suffering and his faith. Mm-hmm. Right? We see that happening, I think, in this moment. Um, and I see it at least very, very uh, starkly with um, young people who are uh, in seminary who are um, assistant or associate ministers in uh, community churches. The fire uh, is there. They are out uh, on the front line uh, in the movement, protesting, um, traveling to different places, um, intellectual activisms of all kinds, and still very much deeply connected to to the black church. And Mm -hmm. so I really am, am hopeful um, about um, the direction in which the church um, well I'm hopeful about the future of the church even though it seems 
um, more often than not these days that, uh, you know, the black church is on life support. Mm -hmm. I'm really, really hopeful because of these young people. And, you know, I'm a millennial myself. I'm at the older end of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, so I count myself as 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 one of those um, uh, younger people. Um, but you know, people like um, uh, Candace Simpson and uh, people like um, you know Stanley Tolbert and people like um, uh, 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 oh goodness Rashad Raymond Moore and. Uh, you know, people like Raquel Gill and uh, and, and others. Uh, mm-hmm. who, and I'm just thinking of you know my uh, a northern crew here. Mm-hmm. But but there are others who are a part of this great work. At the same time, I mean, there are um, there are those who came before us who are very much committed uh, to the movement and see um, the significance, uh, the critical significance of. Um, of Black Lives Matter. Uh, these are people, you know, pastors like, uh, of course, uh, we know Tracy Blackman, pastors like Starsky Wilson, pastors uh, and professors like Pamela Lightsey, um, and, uh, and others who are very much at the forefront um, of, uh, you know, Otis Maul, um, um, you know, um, uh, Freddie Haynes, um, who are at the forefront of this movement. Mm-hmm. So, so we are there as the black church. We are represented, but I see the the real power um, coming from young people who have mm-hmm. determined, in much the same way as many of our teachers did, not to um, not to remove themselves from the church entirely, but to fight with the church to mm-hmm. wrestle, uh, in a sense, with God mm-hmm. until our change comes. Yeah, that's good. Um, <clears throat> I have a, a group of, um, conservative, I was telling you a little bit of my backstory. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a group of conservative white evangelical friends and, um, sometimes they don't know how to help. Um, and what, what advice would you give to those who may be listening, um, that are white evangelicals on how they can engage, um, with this with this topic and what they could do to help because so many want to help but then they they start helping but it, it sounds like you feel like you're better and you're just I'm your project to help and not mm-hmm. it being authentic and and what what ways would you or what tips would you would you give to them well to be quite honest with you um Lisa you know my project is uh my project of uh, black liberation is a concern uh, primarily for um, about black people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if I could offer advice, if you know, to um, you know, to our white brothers and sisters uh, about um, how they could most support the movement, the first thing or the flourishing of black lives generally the first thing I probably say is to learn something about black people mm-hmm. um, as as um, an independent exercise right mm-hmm. so 
not asking black people to teach you um, but to pick <laughs> up a book and to engage in, especially if you're talking about evangelicals, to engage in or with theology that is not white. Mm-hmm. To think about God um, or to engage with thoughts about God that are emerging from, um, you know, from black life. Um, uh, that's the first thing I would say. See, because, well, and the second thing I would say is to, um, you know, this may seem a little bit harsh, but I would suggest that in being informed uh, on um, on the um, the challenges and the social um, trauma that are inflicted upon black people uh, regularly, social and theological uh, and ecclesiological challenges <laughs> upon black people, that um, that they endeavor in their uh, Christian education paradigms and uh, preaching paradigms to teach their community to not be shooters. Mm-hmm. Don't shoot. And part of that um, requires um, a certain kind of discipling that affirms um, the importance of difference mm-hmm. in God's economy and that uh, affirms further the humanity of black people. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and it requires an anti-racist, uh, anti-white racist lens, and so um, that's what I that that's the, the advice that I would give as a first step. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely helpful because. I think I almost started laughing when you said your first point because I've had mm-hmm. so many conversations where we're like, Lisa, so help me understand um what I should say or how I can how I should engage this movement or how is it to be black? And it's like it's almost like it it be, it creates this awkwardness in the conversation um because it's like I'm I'm only talking to you to study you. I'm not talking to you to have an authentic relationship. Um, and it creates a kind of a distance. Well, um, again, I mean, and that right there, I mean, to, to just draw some superficial connections uh, in this, this brief conversation, I mean, that's evidence of a certain kind of ethic of surveillance, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, you know, mass incarceration outside the bounds of prison, right? This mm-hmm. ability to look to gaze upon you mm-hmm. right um, without ever really approximating being proximate with you being next to you being with you or for you mm-hmm. but just to gaze upon mm-hmm. right? which is not that's just not helpful yeah it's not helpful in fact it's dehumanizing it reproduces the cycles of black um, silencing and invisibilizing and um, demonizing to be honest mm-hmm yeah, that's very true. What resources would you recommend for those who want to learn more about the topic of um, mass incarceration or its effects on our communities? If you have one or two books that you would recommend, 
Yeah, so I actually have four. Okay. <laughs> that pops to mind. Um, I, I would certainly recommend James Logan's um, Good Punishment. Mm-hmm. I believe the subtitle is Christian Moral Practice. Christian Moral Practice and U.S. Imprisonment. And uh, Dr. James Logan is a professor at Earlham uh, College. I'd also, of course, highly recommend Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. And although, um, although her focus is mainly on African-American men here, um, I still think that the book is, is uh, extremely valuable for how we uh, think about uh, mass incarceration in the 21st century. Um, I would recommend also Khalil Muhammad's uh, The Condemnation of Blackness, mm, Race, Crime, and uh, I can't remember the, uh, the uh, ending of his subtitle, but it's The Condemnation of Blackness. Here, if I'm remembering correctly, Dr. Muhammad offers really a sort of historiography or history of um, the criminalization of of black bodies um, and how um, race and crime, um, you know, have um, developed intersectionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then finally, I could not... um, uh, list books and not name um, Emily M. Townsend's Woman in Ethics and the Cultural Production of Evil, which um, does just um, a brilliant uh, job of helping us to think about how we are all implicated in systems of evil, mm-hmm. how evil, structures of evil, how, um, how, how we are all implicated in it, how it is touching us all, even when we don't want it to, right? So this goes to, well, you know, I don't, that's, that's not who, I'm not a racist, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not a sexist or I'm not a heterosexist or, you know, I'm not homophobic, right? How we are all kind of implicated in structural oppression mm-hmm. and how, um, and it begins to help us think about how we might begin dismantling these structures and in a sense, liberating ourselves um, from that which seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Amen. So, those would be my four books. <laughs> Thank you. I'm definitely going to, I have the um, the new Jim Crow, but I'm definitely going to check out the other ones um, that, that you, other resources. Um, what would you want to leave with our listeners? Um, you have the final word, um, your social media, how they could get in contact with you on your website as well as any other words yeah so um, you know I guess my final word would be that um, black freedom is the order of the day Mm. and we ought to get free of our own accord um, not necessarily waiting for someone else to do it for us and this is womanist Mm-hmm. doing it for ourselves mm-hmm. and um, you know if you you know if you are about that that work of liberation and freedom from um, structures of race gender class or economic and sexual oppression then um, then you know talk to me I'm on 
Facebook, Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter at Ebony Thoughts, E-B-O-N-I Thoughts. And uh, I'd love to be in conversation with your listeners. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Terman. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and I really appreciate your insight and input and wisdom. Um, We definitely all can learn a lot from you. Thank you so much, Lisa. Glad to be here. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us thank you so much remember at the Jude 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it